So we kicked off prayer month last week. And I just want to tell you guys, I'm excited about it. And I don't say that just as like the hype man up here. I'm really excited about it. Like, I'm excited about it because it's already showing up. That effort, that work, the fact that we're focusing on this is already showing up in this community. And so that excites me. Uh, Some of you have written, you've sent me questions, you've sent me comments, you've commented on some of the posts that we've put up. And I just really believe that anytime people really get after it when it comes to prayer and they're unified in that, that God's going to do something. I believe that. I love that sound. It's my favorite. It's like a lightsaber or something happening. Anyway, um, I love that. I love the fact that uh, when we have a community of people that have agreed to just go after it and get on their hands and knees and on their faces before God, he shows up. He does. He's, he promises he will. And so it's just the coolest thing to me. And I can't wait to see how it transforms this place. I believe it's not the end of something. I believe it's just the beginning of something that God wants to do here. And when we take prayer seriously, I believe that he has an opportunity to do that in our hearts first. And so we're going to continue to discuss having conversations with the king, as I mentioned last week. And if you have Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, uh, we're going to encourage you to follow along with us in that. Uh, And many of you probably already seen some of those posts. Uh, And, of course, you're always welcome to comment on those, too, if you want to share something there. If a particular scripture gets your attention, please Throw in. I would love that. And, of course, you can share them with your friends, too. Now, listen, if you are one of those folks that is not on social media, number one, hats off to you. And number two, uh, if you want things like you're, I feel like I'm missing out. You don't have to, like, get a Facebook account or anything like that. We won't make you do that. Um, What we would suggest is if you want to write to prayer at desperationchurch.org and just say, I want the prayers or something like that. uh, What I will do is put those together in some kind of a form that you can have uh, each week. So you might even be a little bit ahead of the game if you want to do that. So as we get started, I feel it's very, very appropriate for us to pray at this time. Seems like it makes sense, right? Let's do that. Would you bow your hearts with me? Father God, once again, we come to you in this moment. God, I love how uh, in almost every faith community historically that I can think of, There are prayers for inviting you to illuminate your word so that we can receive it. Whether it's opening your Torah or whether it's opening your scripture or however it's referred to, God, that there are prayers specifically to you asking you to illuminate our minds and hearts to your wisdom. Help us to see the things you want us to see and and help it to change our hearts and impact us the way that you want it to. And so that is my prayer this morning, that these words wouldn't be my words, that they would be your words, that the things that you want to say and do, God, that you would just do. And for those of us uh, that have come in this morning, maybe, God, that uh, we've had a rough week or rough days, I pray that you would just come alongside us in this moment and that you would minister to us and encourage us. We thank you for that. We love you. And it's all in your name. Amen. So talking about prayer, and sometimes I think in our culture, our culture, right, that 
because of technology and all of the amazing things that we're able to do as mankind or womankind or whatever you want to say, right? All the amazing things that we're able to do. I think that that has an effect on our prayer life. And let me tell you why. I feel like that sometimes we lose our reference for what is worthy of our awe and our reverence. And we talked a little bit about that idea last week, just the idea of reverence and um, things like that, you know. And I think some of it has to do with actually many of the things that I love, like the movies now with the CGI where basically you can take your imagination and you can make it look real to everyone else in the world. And some of you are thinking to yourselves right now, there is no way in the world I would want anyone to see my imagination up on a screen. But somebody's making money off of that, okay? And so you can take that imagination and you can put it right up there on the screen and it looks so real. And so there's a part of that that I think impacts us and the way that we see things because things are, can become a little less amazing. But for me, all you have to do is you have to just put me right in front of the Grand Canyon, right? Or something like that. And instantly, boom, that's over with because Hollywood does not compare to that. And so we always start from this place in prayer, if I can get my little magical guy here to work. Uh, to know before whom you are standing. We talked about that last week. Just that we need to remember who it is that we're talking to, right? When we pick up our prayer phone, we got to know who's on the end of the line on the other side and, and all he's capable of and all that he can do, right? But at the same time, and this is where I want to talk about this this week, at the same time, we shouldn't forget that we serve a creator who is almighty, who is amazing, who is all-powerful, and yet he makes himself available to us. That is humbling right there when I think about that. We should not forget that. And so I just have a short video for you that's, I believe, a powerful reminder of that point. What is prayer? Stale tradition? Ritual? A good luck charm? Part of some religious checklist? to appease a higher being so we can get what we want, or at least avoid the lightning bolts. Prayer has been redefined and twisted and confused, but at its essence, prayer is simply talking to God, the God who spoke the universe into creation, who gives us life and breath, who holds all things together. This God wants us to talk to him in the vastness of all that exists. He actually cares about us personally, individually. How can we not pray to such a loving God wherever we are? How can we not thank him for what he's done or cry out when we need help, when we need forgiveness and we're afraid? When we give thanks for our blessing or question where our next meal will come from, why would we live a life apart from Him? It's not about formula. How could any posture or well-chosen word impress the author of time and space? It's simple obedience. God has made Himself available to us. He wants to hear from us. He wants us to trust in Him, to acknowledge our dependence on Him, to draw near to the one who loved us first. A 
approaching with confidence because Christ has torn away the veil. He's washed away the sin that kept us from his presence. And we live in relationship with our Lord. And so we ask that his kingdom come, his will be done on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven. That is prayer. I need pictures sometimes to understand things better. And I really appreciated that video for even the way that it illustrates all those things. So today what I want to do is I want to explore this idea of hearing God speak and the way that he makes himself available to us. And we'll touch on that concept more in the coming weeks. But today I want to start just by looking at three instances in Scripture where we have people that God spoke to. Just with the idea, I want to see what we can learn from their lives and their experiences and if there's anything that parallels with ours. And so the first one that I want to talk about is Samuel. And this is one of my all-time favorite stories in Scripture, so I really have to restrain myself or we will get stuck here. But in a nutshell, Samuel is one of the last judges to be called by God. And if you don't know that story, let me catch you up. Uh, He had a mom. Her name was Hannah. She couldn't have a child. She prayed to God for a child, and Samuel was a result of that prayer. And what she promised, she made a vow. She said, God, listen, if you give me this child, I will give this child back to you. I will surrender this child to you in service, right? That's why when we talk about baby dedications here, it's one of the scriptures that we often mention. And so uh, she takes him when he's old enough to the temple, and Eli is the guy that's the head priest there. And Samuel is serving in the temple, and so one night he's sleeping in his little sleeping bag or his cot or whatever he slept on. And he hears a voice calling to him, calling his name. And so he jumps up and he runs into Eli and he's like, hey, you called, what do you need? Because part of his gig, right, was to take care of Eli and to help him out. So if he called, you better be ready to go. So he runs in there and Eli's like, I'm not calling you, man, go back to sleep. So Samuel goes back and lays down on his cot, probably turns over the other direction, tries to go to sleep. He starts to fall asleep and all of a sudden he hears the voice again, Samuel. Okay. This has to be a test, right? So he runs into Eli. Eli's, I am not calling you. Go back to bed. And I imagine if Eli is like a parent, he might have been just a little bit irritated in that moment. But that's just speculation. Anyway, so then a third time it happens. Samuel, Samuel, right? And so, oh, Eli, I forgot this part because this is actually the most important part. Eli starts to get the point of what's happening. He's like, maybe Samuel's hearing from the Lord. Tell you what, Samuel, here's what you do. When you go back and you lay down, If you hear the voice call again, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Okay? So Samuel goes and lays down. And then, Samuel, Samuel, it says it twice. And he's like, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And this moment actually ends up being the beginning of Samuel's calling as one of the main prophets in this huge part of Israel's history and future. God literally woke Samuel up by speaking to him in the middle of the night. But Samuel thought that Eli was calling him. It took three attempts for him to realize and to respond. And then when Samuel did, the course of history was changed. But this story about Samuel and about Eli and about the history of Israel is actually more than just a history story. There are a lot of things that are happening in this. Um, Number one, it's a picture, I think, of how God's voice is revealed to us sometimes. While we're sleeping in darkness, he speaks. He loved us before we loved him, right? 
He sent Jesus before we did anything. Before we did anything, he loved us first. And so it's this picture of how God's voice is revealed to us. And like Samuel, we may not recognize that voice as his at first. But when we begin to respond, we discover that he actually has a lot that he wants to say to us, which is pretty cool. We may not understand all of the implications, right, of what God's asking us in that moment. And frankly, I think if we did, like if God had said in that moment, Samuel, here's everything I'm going to do in your history. It would have terrified this child, right? He'd be like, no! Eli, Eli, help me! Right? We would do the same thing. If God had shown you, and I'm looking at many of you because I know your stories, like all the things that he would carry you through in your life to get you to the point that you are now in him and how all those things, some of them would hurt and some of them would be great and some of them would be this and that and the other. Like there's a part of that that if we knew our future, we might not sign up for that. But God is gradual. He grows us in that and he speaks to us along the way. And so when we engage in this conversation, we find that the courses of our lives and really even history can be changed forever. And so when we talk about prayer in here, that's what gets me really excited. Because when we start praying, it can change the course of history. And I don't think we can understate that. Scripture is full of everyday men and women that God uses. So why can't he use us? I would suggest he can Another thing to consider is that while Samuel was near the ark, that's actually where he was sleeping, near the ark. It represented God's presence among his people, and yet there he was asleep. And so the parallel that I draw to that is just that there are many of us in this world that are asleep or have been asleep or still are asleep in our lives, maybe, and unable to hear God's call to us, but he wants to speak to us. So that's Samuel. Next, we have Moses, and most of us are familiar with him. He had this extraordinary relationship with God, and this is actually one of my favorite scriptures right here. It's Exodus thirty-three, eleven. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, not as in he didn't have parents, all right? The son of Nun, that's a name. A young man would not depart from the tent. So there's a lot going on in the scripture that I love. But I only have time to focus on Moses right now. I want that relationship with God. That relationship right there is what I want. I want this relationship with God where I speak to him one-on-one and I feel like I've got a friend there. Like I'm just kicking back and I'm talking. Now, I'm not talking about irreverence here. I'm just saying that the connection that he had with God was this personal, direct, and deep connection. Now, it doesn't mean that Moses always agreed with God. And if you read his story, you know that he even argued with God at times. But Moses is also known as one of the most humble men ever to have lived. And we've talked about that a lot, but I've been thinking lately that I wonder if that humility is in reference to his obedience. And the fact that he never personally took credit for anything that God did, right? Because we exist to worship and glorify God. We're here for his glory. And so every time Moses, someone would come and say, he led the people or he did this or you did this. He always redirected that glory to God. So I believe that's why he's known as one of the most humble men. But that relationship right there, I want that right there. I want that. You want that? I want that. Okay, next, Elijah. So Elijah, if you've not read Elijah's story, let me just say you need to bust that one open because this would be the most amazing miniseries or movies, Hollywood, if you're listening, because I know you steal my ideas. Elijah is the story, okay? 
So he was this prophet, and he was best known for being a stubborn opponent of Baal or Baal, or Baal however you say it, right? Your choice. You can choose because I've heard it both ways. People were worshiping this idol. And it was kind of sweeping through the nation. And there was one queen, Jezebel. She rose to this position of power when she married into leadership. And she brought her Baal worship with her, right? And she was all about Baal. And so everybody was all about Baal, right? And it was sweeping the nation as the new dance. Baal, everybody, right? I mean, it was just going nuts. And this false religion was spreading. And it threatened to wipe out the kingdom of Israel. And so God, of course, is not going to allow that to happen because he has plans for these people. So he sends Elijah into the situation to turn the nation back to him. And so there's all kinds of amazing miracles and displays of God's power that I don't have time to unfold, but it's good. And in doing all of these things, namely killing a bunch of her prophets, like actually God did it, which was really cool. I know that's weird for me to say out loud, killing people is cool. But this particular situation, trust me, this needed to happen. So... Boom, this happens. Jezebel is angered. And Elijah, after this amazing thing that God does, ends up running for his life. Run for your life! Jezebel's mad! Right, he's out of there. So, And it's there, actually, that it's really easy to relate to Elijah's story, at least for us. Because that happens to us, too. Sometimes we get scared and we run. So he runs into the wilderness with no provisions. And after a day on the lamb, he collapses under this tree. And he's like, God, just kill me. Just destroy me. I failed you. I'm, I'm lame. Just take me out. This angel appears miraculously, gives him some food, and then he leads him eventually to a cave at Mount Horeb. And so he's in this place of despair, Elijah is. And God asks him what he's doing there. And I always think it's funny when God asks those questions because he knows everything, you know? So you know that it's sort of like to... Get it to do you know why you're here sort of thing, right? So why are you here? He sort of starts having this pity party saying, all the other prophets are dead. Jezebel wants to kill me too when I was so scared. So I had to run. She wants to hurt me, right? Like, so this is intense. This is a moment of grief and anguish for him. And so we turn to 1 Kings 19. Elijah has this instruction. And he said, go out and stand on the mount, this is Mount Horeb, before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire... The sound of a low whisper. And that word could also be translated as a sound or a thin silence. Talk about a scene that would make a great movie. God passes by and there's all these various displays of his power on this elemental level that are just unleashed. That would be scary. But he's found... In the end, in the silence. So I offer you to offer to you today that just because we can't hear him, it doesn't mean that he's not speaking. It could be that maybe we're not really listening. So what do these three 
key figures in God's story have in common. Here's three things that I thought of. The first thing, they were in the presence of the Lord. And these are things that we can emulate. Samuel was in the temple sleeping near the ark, right? Talk about a nightlight. That would be amazing. I mean, that dude had to have a sleeping mask at times, I'm sure. Just because of the glory. He's like, how? Sleep, right? Even a little kid. Moses was also in the presence of the Lord in the tent of meeting where God's presence would rest with his people in the wilderness. And actually, that's the same place. Um, oh, wait, I'm sorry. Elijah then was led to Mount Horeb. I forgot that one. He was led to Mount Horeb. And that's the same place where Moses had this encounter with God at the burning bush. That's in Exodus 3.1. So Samuel was in the temple in God's presence. Moses was in the tent of meeting. And then Elijah was at Mount Horeb where God's presence was. Now, we may be tempted to think that all of these links as far as the presence of God had to do with uh, the physical proximity to specific coordinates. And so maybe we just all need to pack up and find these locations and go there and then it'll be on, right? We'd be tempted to think that. I would offer that the reason that these settings are considered holy ground, it's not about the places. It's about the presence. It's about the presence, God's presence. Last week, we looked at Hebrews 10.19. And we have this guarantee as believers that we can draw near to God because Jesus went before us as our high priest. Right? So when we, we are following Jesus... God's presence, it's available to us right now, wherever we are. It's not about coordinates. It's about connection. So that's the first thing. They were all in the presence of the Lord. Here's the second one. They were always ready to listen for God's voice. Samuel, of course, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And listen, if you don't know what to pray, that's actually a great prayer. You can totally rip that off and you will not get in trouble. If you don't know what to say to God, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, and then just wait. And if it makes you feel better, say it again. And when he prayed that prayer, God changed the course of history, and he made him this prophet and one of the key figures that God used to shape the nation of Israel. I mean, that's amazing. Moses was also in the habit of listening to God. I mean, he was a guy that spoke face-to-face with God as a man does to a friend, right? So you're saying, well, it says spoke. Yeah, but listen, you're not a very good friend in conversation if all you do is talk. So that tells me that Moses listened as well. If he spoke to God as a friend does to another friend, you're not hanging out with somebody very long if all they do is yap, 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 right? You need, there needs to be a little bit of back and forth. There needs to be a little give and take. And so most friends, that's what they do. They listen. In fact, sometimes we say about our friends, the best friends to us are the ones that listen the most. So I believe that Moses also listened. And then, of course, Elijah, he's in this desperate and fearful moment. And God orchestrates all of these elemental displays of power. And it's almost to illustrate, listen, you're afraid of her? (laughs) Check this out. (laughs) Ah, Right? Earthquake. Just a reminder, guess what? I'm bigger than she is. Do you remember remember what I did before? Anyway. But in that moment when wisdom and direction and the assurance of his future comes, where is it found? It's found in the whisper. It's found in the stillness. So they all listened. And then the third thing, perhaps one of the most important things, 
They were expectant. Samuel, Moses, and Elijah entered God's presence because they expected him to speak and guide them. And let me tell you guys, when we come into this place and we come into this place expectant, there's a difference. There's a huge difference. When you're bopping around your house and you're blow-drying your hair or shining your head or whatever you do to get ready in the morning. That's right. Looking out. Looking out for my brothers. Right? What if in those moments we were like, God, I don't know what you're going to do today, but I'm ready for it. I want it. Whatever it is. Prepare my heart even now. Look at this beautiful creation that you've made in the mirror. Right? No, I don't know. I'm just saying. What if we came in expectant? Even for Samuel, Moses, and Elijah, in all of those moments, there were other things that they could have been doing. There were other places that they could have gone, and there were other people that they could have talked to. But instead, they were available to God, and they expected him to say something. And I think that that expectation is important. So last week, if you were here, I shared with you the story of how... uh, God kind of wrestled with him about that first message and the story of when I was struggling to start the prayer series. There's so many things we could talk about and all that. I was like, I don't know what to do with this. And I told you about a book that I've been reading about this author that literally prays for everything stuff that that and it's not that I don't believe that I want to be really, really clear. God is using this actually to open my eyes to a lot of things, but. There are just some things that I had made up my mind or predetermined like, you know, I don't need to bother God with that. That's just. It's insignificant. I don't know that he needs to know this. But my perspective is changing on that. And so I, de- I detailed the whole like journey of how uh, I was in one place where I study, and God told me, even though I wasn't ready, I wasn't done, to get up and go somewhere else. But he didn't tell me where I was going. And so the whole praying along the way and leading me to where I eventually ended up, which was in the prayer room right up there. And so I stopped and I asked God, where do you want me to teach from? And he ended up leading me to Psalm 63 through these series of prayers. He didn't give everything to me at once. It was like the series of prayers. And it was this amazing thing. It was an amazing moment. It ruined me. But I didn't tell you the whole story because there's a part two to the story. So after learning, so I thought, to trust God in this whole thing. And by the way, I know that. I just want to be clear. I know that I should trust God. But I just like everybody, I'm a human. I have to be reminded. So... Um, after learning that and him giving me parts but not the whole answer at once, I, just, I felt like that there was something else. And so I said, okay, God, what is it? What else do you have to say? Is there anything else that you want me to see? And I waited. And he very clearly spoke to me. And I'm not saying audibly. It was like an inner voice that seems, here's how I describe it. It seems more direct and responsive than merely something that's just my idea. That's how I would describe the inner voice when God speaks to me. It was something that was more direct and responsive and not, I mean, something that I would not have naturally come across in my brain. So I'm waiting. I said, you know, God, what do you want to say? And he said, 1 Corinthians. So that's great. Could you be more specific, please? (laughs) He didn't say anything. So I said, okay, well, I'll just read through the whole book here at church. That ought to go over well. Let's just do it. Come on, right? Lots of chapters. It'll be good. So, of course, I didn't say any of that. (laughs) I said, okay. I'm just going to wait for a second. So I waited. And then I prayed again. I said, okay, God. Ask again, where do you want me to go? You have a chapter. You have a place you want to direct me to. 
And I felt like he said chapter 12. So I was like, okay, this is cool. I'm really enjoying this. I like this. So I turned to chapter 12. And my Bible has the headings that are printed above the sections that tell you what the sections are about. And immediately it said, uh, the heading said spiritual gifts. And I started to doubt, like almost immediately, because that wasn't at all what we were talking about or where we were going. We were talking about prayer. And so my inner critic just started to go blah, 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 before I even started reading it. Why do we do that, by the way? Like, why is it when you're in these moments, these amazing moments with God, all of a sudden the inner critic, like the little puppet head pops up. That's not really what he said, right? Totally. And my inner critic is a puppet. He's like a gnarly little scary weird puppet. And he's just like, that's not what God's really saying to you. Look at the headache. That can't be right. Right? God had just shown me all of this love and care. And if you were not here last week, you need to listen to that message. But he led me to Psalm 63. And this inner critic started... Yelling, right? Spiritual gifts. Maybe you misheard that. But you know what? I said, God, let me hear. I'm going to read it anyway. And so I did. And right there in verse 2, something jumped off the page that I've noticed before, but never in this application. It's not even the point. I'm really the point of what that scripture is. But there it is. Something I would have never considered on my own. And God's amazing. That's all I have to say. So here it is. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 and 2. But brothers, I do not want you to go on being ignorant about the things of the spirit. You know that when you were pagans, no matter how you felt you were being led, you were being led astray to idols, which can't speak at all. That last line is the thing that cut to my heart. Okay. That last line, you're being led to idols on our own. Even when we felt like we were being led in the right way, we were being, we were without direction more or less is what he's saying. Led to idols that cannot speak. That line is important. Here's why. Because what the context suggests to me is that idols cannot speak, but our God can. Right? And he does as he leads us. And now that we belong to God, if I'm interpreting this, he is leading us. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? God is still speaking to us. If there's anyone out there that's telling you that God no longer speaks, don't believe them because he does. You're surrounded by people that he's talking to all the time. So for those of us that wonder if God will speak to us, or maybe we don't think that he ever has, could it be that we just need to be better listeners? Well, what do you mean by that? What voices in your life, what noises are loudest in your life right now? If you think about that for just a second. You think about, and don't say your husband or your wife, okay? That's just not fair. Funny, but not fair. That's not what I'm after here. Because sometimes our husbands and wives play the voice of the Holy Spirit. For real. What voices, noises are loudest in your life? So is it entertainment? Is it like the movies and all the things that that you fill your time with? And again, I'm not reeling on any of these things. I want to be clear because I love movies. I, I feel like I've proven that today. But is that the loudest thing? Like, is it the thing that consumes most of your time so much so that there's no time set aside just for listening for God? What about videos? Or what about negative self-talk? Are you always listening to that voice that's saying, well, I don't think that experience really happened. Did God really say that to you? Now, sometimes that can be used against us, but lots of times 
It's a negative critic that's coming up. How about the enemy? Are we listening to the enemy rather than the things we know to be true, right? Speak what is true. We have a whole book full of truth that we can look to. What about our pasts? Are our pasts the loudest voice in our lives? Listen, that's done. That's over. We've been rescued. We've been bought. We've been redeemed with the price. And that stuff, while we may need to deal with some of those things, if that's the thing that's guiding and speaking and directing us, that's the wrong voice. Sports talk radio. Listen, that is hardly uplifting. I'm just saying, okay? Nothing happening in the world of sports today, so let's just talk about things that make us really angry. Over to you, Bob. Well, you know what I really hate, Chuck? Sports talk radio. Political commentary, I could say the same things. Right? Is that the loudest voice in our lives? Is that what's directing our steps and making us think about our future? Are we carving out special time just for us to be silent with God? Podcasts, man. Podcasts can be the same thing. And listen, they're great. I love them. They're fun. I learn all kinds of things about them. But if that's the loudest voice in my life, if all of these things or any of these things are the loudest voices in our lives, what that's saying is that we're not carving out the space that God needs to speak. He doesn't come in the fire. He doesn't come in the earthquake. He doesn't come in all of the rocks and everything tumbling down in the thunderous storm. He comes in the silence to speak to us. When was the last time you were silent before the Lord? And who are you listening to? Are they crowding out God's voice? When men and women in Scripture, we've talked about a few of them, Samuel, Moses, and Elijah, when they heard God's voice, ladies and gentlemen, it solved real-world problems. Things like God's voice addressing and offering wisdom for relational situations, or God's voice speaking directly to the emotional needs that they faced, or God's voice being the source of solutions for every spiritual challenge that they faced. God offers his presence to us in this very moment. No matter where we are, he's ready. But are we listening? Are we expecting him to speak? Is God's still small voice the loudest voice in your life?